Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. And back with us in studio today is the OG Problematic Woman, Kelsey Bowler. Kelsey is the Senior Policy Analyst at the Independent Women's Forum and the founder of the Problematic Women Podcast. Kelsey, thanks for being back with us. Thanks for having me back. (laughs) Well, and it's not just Kelsey in the studio. We don't typically allow men here at Problematic Women, but we decided to make an excuse for one very cute little man, Kelsey's new son, Riley. You want to say hi? (laughs) Say hi. You might hear some baby noises in the background. (laughs) A little crying and podcast. We do apologize. He (laughs) is... Just about three and a half months, and the day we are recording this is actually my first official day back from maternity leave. So I have to say thank you all for reminding me why I love my job and making this transition a little easier to come back. (laughs) Well, Kelsey, speaking of transitions, what was the transition between, one, you know, Scarlett, your daughter, she's adorable, but she's a toddler, and we all know how much of a handful a toddler is. Two big things. One, you never get a break because when you have one, when they're napping, you actually get some time off to clean or take a nap yourself. With two, there's always someone to take care of. Um, the second, the second, I guess, big thing I've learned is that you feel so overwhelmed, all consumed when you have your first baby. By number two, I am like, I got this newborn thing down. I literally (laughs) feel like I'm on vacation when the toddler is away and it's just me and this little guy. (laughs) You're just such a much more confident parent. um, And and that makes you kind of able to enjoy this newborn phase more. Yeah. Yeah, he Uh, can't escape, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Not mobile yet. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, well, it's an honor to have him here in studio as one of the very few men to ever appear on Problematic And Women. I will say the cutest man to ever appear. Yeah. You hear that, Riley? Mm-hmm. You're a lucky guy. <laughs> All right, Lauren, we have a full show. Tell us what we've queued up. Up on today's Problematic Women, gas prices have reached a record high. We explain how we got here. Plus, Sports Illustrated is highlighting Leah Thomas, the male swimmer, who says he's a girl and competes on the women's team. We dive into how we can all fight against the harm of gender ideology and share a story about a family who is deeply impacted by transgenderism. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are so often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. Gas prices have reached a record high in America, and they are expected to keep rising. In January 2020, gas averaged $2.54 a gallon. In January 2022, that number was up to $3.31 a gallon. And on Monday, gas prices hit an all-time high of $4.15 a gallon. The previous record was in 2008 when gas reached $4.11 a gallon. 
Do you guys remember that? I do. I remember, I think I was in high school. Were you able to drive a car in 2008? Um, no. <laughs> I definitely was not. <laughs> um, but I remember like, wow, they're above $4. Like gas is so high. That was crazy. Um, definitely feeling it a little bit more now that I have to pay for it. <laughs> a little different. <laughs> yeah, we just road tripped back from Florida and it was expensive to say the least. I think it's interesting the Biden administration is already trying to spin this as the high gas prices are a result of Putin invading Ukraine. Yes, that is obviously a contributing factor. But if you look at the cost of gas prices from when Biden took office to uh, the week prior to Putin's invasion, they they went up over a dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it was a dollar and 14 cents. Uh, so this this is a direct result of his policies, and we know this week he just announced a ban on Russian oil imports, which is an important stand for the United States to take to mm-hmm. say we're, we're not going to fund this war. Yeah. Um, but the reality is unless all the countries do the same, it's not going to uh, – it's not going to really have the economic effect that we might hope for. Mm-hmm. Uh that said, it's the right stand to take. The problem is that the Biden administration is not coupling that with the even more important policies of making America energy independent. I don't know. I feel like uh, uh, the millennial generation, us in this room, we have watched the boomers drag us into war after war over oil and and natural resources. Why are we not finally putting our foot down and saying, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to produce our energy needs here, and we're not going to look to one hostile political government after another to provide us these resources. It's so frustrating. It is. Well, and the tragic answer to that, Kelsey, is all of the environmentalists among Mm -hmm. the millennials and the Gen Zers who are behind things like the Keystone XL pipeline being stopped. Uh, But the reality is that we in America are our like standards for being environmentally conscientious are so much higher than they are in Russia or Venezuela or anywhere else. We're producing producing these same oil. Exactly. It's the same oil (laughs) and we're going to produce it much safer and be way more conscientious of the environment. Right. It's a win-win. It's a (laughs) win-win. Never forget day one, day one of the Biden presidency. He stopped the Keystone XL pipeline. Yeah. Like it, it, it wasn't even like day two. Like it was like one of his first <laughs> things that he one. wants to do. But the, the, the solution, according to the Biden administration, is electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, guys. Now we'll just shift our reliance over to China because we know these electric vehicles cannot be produced without minerals from China. So instead of being dependent on Russia for our oil, we'll make ourselves dependent on China for electric vehicles. Mm. It doesn't stop. And it, it, it's, it, it, it perfectly demonstrates the short-sightedness of the government, which happens on both sides, their inability to plan for the long term. We need in energy independence for the long term. We need to be looking at this crisis. What can we do now? And what can we do to prevent ourselves from ever being in this situation again? Yeah. I'm glad you brought up that the gas high previously was in 2008 because how like unlucky millennial was it? I was that was it was in the summer. I was 17. And when you're 17 in the summer, all you want to do is like get out in your car and like get away from your parents. And I just remember we would like 
I'll have to like all pull our money and we'd get like three gallons at a time and it would be like twelve dollars and we we literally like go like ten miles down the road and we park and that's all we could do because gas was so expensive and it's so funny that like I'm just having flashbacks now. I got gas last night in Alexandria, Virginia, and it was four twenty five a gallon. It's insane. And don't forget, it was only a couple months ago where I was driving around. My tank was on empty and there was no gas anywhere. Remember, there was a gas yeah. shortage. Yeah. And so we were, I literally waited in line in gas. So, I mean, millennials, it's just crazy the life that even though we're like 30 years old, like everything that we've had to go through. And it's just it's it's funny. But at the same time, this has consequences. And for me, like, OK, when I was 17, it was annoying. And then now, OK, 425, it costs as much to fill up a half a tank than it did a full tank. But mm-hmm. I was talking to my sister on the phone last night, and she's a stay-at-home mom. They live kind of in the middle of nowhere in Florida. And she told me, like, normally she goes to the dollar store in the middle of the day to break up the day because it's just her and my two-year-old niece. Sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll go to a park a little bit farther away. And she's like, I'm really going to have to reconsider those options yeah. because of how expensive gas prices are. And that, I mean, she's blessed that, like, it's not even – you know, she's not going to have to think about like gas or her food. So it's really like when you really drill down to this, the consequences that this is having. I mean, it, 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 the fact that the Biden administration can't get this together is just can they do literally anything? <laughs> well, it's so it's so far reaching, Lauren. Like yeah. you were saying, like my thought is, OK, gas prices go up. So like, what does that mean for the tourism yeah. industry this summer? Are people going to decide we can't drive to the beach as a family because we can't? afford it. Like there's ripple effects to all of these things. It's not just the gas prices. And I think President Biden missed a huge opportunity at the State of the Union address last week where he could have made the case to the American people why, yes, gas prices are going to temporarily rise, but here's what I'm going to do, one, two, three, to reduce the burden. I know Mm -hmm. this is a burden, but we are going to ease it. Instead, uh, I was actually reading, I believe, as a PBS reporter, uh, basically said Congress was ready to ban Russian oil before the Biden administration was. And, uh, you know, the Biden and so finally the Biden administration had no choice but to do this. And yet they are, again, just not coupling it with those crucial policies. They need to lift their thumb off of the oil and gas industries, which, you know, the green um, environmentalists love demonizing. Well, who actually banned Russian oil and gas first? It was actually these private companies. I believe it was most of the major companies besides Shell actually took it upon themselves to not import Russian oil and gas. Prior to even our U.S. government, the Biden administration would do the same. That was sad. Yeah, that is sad. Oh, well, no end in sight for this one, sadly. <laughs> Start saving those pennies so you can have your summer vacation. All right, stay tuned because up next we talk about Leah Thomas and why the transgender movement is a direct attack on women. But first, I want to tell you all about one of my other favorite podcasts. It's called Heritage Explains, hosted by our friends Michelle Cordero and Tim Jesher. They break down the big policy debates you are hearing about in the news at a 101 level. Using news clips and music, they tell a story, but they also bring on heritage experts to explain those complex issues. So go ahead and pull out your phone and subscribe to the Heritage Explains podcast so you can be in the know on all of the big issues that are facing America today. 
Guys, if you haven't yet, you have to subscribe to the Problematic Woman Instagram feed because you have to see Riley right now. He's just chilling on the floor while we're <laughs> recording this podcast. Pretty awesome baby I have. Yep. And his photos will be featured on the Instagram. <laughs> He's so cute. <laughs> Leah Thomas is a man who says he is a girl. He is also a swimmer for the University of Pennsylvania. Last year, Thomas began making headlines because he was, big shocker here, crushing the female competition. It's safe to say that the vast majority of all people can agree that men, they shouldn't be allowed to compete against women in high school, college, and professional sports. But what we are seeing is that trans activists are celebrating men who say that they're women and who enter women's sports. And the leftist media is really in lockstep with this ideology and message. Sports Illustrated just ran an exclusive on Thomas titled, I am Leah, the trans swimmer dividing America tells her story. Here's what they wrote about Thomas. In her first year swimming for the Penns women's team, after three seasons competing against men, Thomas throttled her competition. She set pole, school, and Ivy League records en route to becoming the nation's most powerful female collegiate swimmer. Photos of Thomas resting at a pool wall and waiting for the rest of the field to finish have become a popular visual shorthand of her dominance. It makes me mad. Oh, I know. Because <laughs> they phrase the whole article as in, we are celebrating... Thomas. And I just want to say, like, wait, wake up. Like, you realize what you're saying. Like, you're celebrating the fact that a man is crushing female competition. And why why are we celebrating this? And I'm glad they got it right in the title. They're dividing America. Mm, Yeah. You know, they're not even hiding it. Like, they're trying to divide America Mm -hmm. with this. Mm -hmm. And you read it and it's like, it just excuses. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's frustrating to me is that so few people in organizations are willing to take stand for this and stand up for the truth. We saw the NCAA just a couple weeks ago uh, punt the ball and, and you know, telling USA Swimming, well, you get to decide your own standards for yourself. And then they're just defaulting. You know, it's like a snowball effect. And it, you don't we need we need people who are willing to stand up for the truth. And it has become so obvious from the story what an unfair advantage biological men have against women. In, in, in swimming competitions, imagine if this were happening in a sport like gymnastics. Like, would anybody stand for this? And and would we start to have those even more difficult conversations about uh, personal privacy, which are just being totally swept under the rug here? Uh, the Daily Mail actually ran a story uh, on background um, where they interviewed some of the fellow um, Ivy League swimmers who said they were uncomfortable sharing a locker room with Leah Thomas. That's hardly a piece of the conversation here. Was that included in this glossy spread in Sports Illustrated? Is that not part of the conversation we have to have here? There, women's, women's privacy, women's rights, women's equality, it's all just being trampled on. And it's depressing to see so few people uh, being willing to stand up for the truth when we know public polls reflect that Americans see this clearly, that it's unfair and that we need we need better uh, regulations when it comes to sports. And it's propaganda. I mean, if you're a little girl and you see what you think is a girl on a magazine swimming, you take that off the shelf, you read it like it is 
if if you're not if you don't have the correct kind of understanding of the issue, you just read it and you're like, wow, she's she's fighting, she's doing the right thing. And it's like, no, like I'm sorry she's had a, a rough time and, and you know, she obviously has things that she needs to work out with, but like she is not the hero here. It's it's these women who keep swimming besides that. And to see the story like pop up time and time again where the left tries to celebrate her and then, you know, the other swimmers come out and say, well, well, actually, we feel uncomfortable. We're trying really hard. It's just part of me is happy that it's actually out there for the American people to really visualize. But then when you see Sports Illustrated, which should just be a magazine that talks about sports. sports. <laughs> right. If this story doesn't move the needle, what does? What yeah, will? Good what? Point. What will eventually enable women to be able to compete in sports fairly? I mean, why? <laughs> really, you don't want to be taking medals and scholarship opportunities away from biological girls and women. I mean, that would yeah. just it, it's just insanity. Um, we can all have compassion for what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, <laughs> you know, how adults want to identify is their business. Uh, but girls and women have a right to fairness in their sports. Yeah. Well, I think it's so tragic because what we have really seen in in the the transgender movement with um, advocates of, of gender ideology is this push of okay um, for any any girl that all of a sudden you know as a little girl really expresses interest in you know trucks or that isn't into wearing pink or that their automatic reaction is oh that's a boy instead of saying that's a tomboy um, or it's a phase or, or whatever that they have so um, honestly put men and women in stereotypes that now if you don't fit those stereotypes oh well then you're just you know you're in the wrong body essentially and we have to we have to fix your body to, to change it to get it to line up with your quote-unquote gender identity and how like how is that empowerment like that is literally the exact opposite of what the feminist movement originally was fighting for right and not to open a whole new can of worms <laughs> but we know this week um that the uh what the left calls the don't say gay bill uh passed in florida and, you know, that is just a complete misrepresentation of the bill. It's about two lines. Anybody can go online and read it for themselves. And what it involves is um, not having those conversations about sexual orientation with uh, children under um, under the third grade. And we just see how this type of ideology is, is seeping into our public education, into our sports, and it's just impacting children in a negative way. Parents are speaking out about it. I know Heritage hosted a powerful conference um, voicing, you know, one of those those parents' experiences. But, um, you know, (laughs) for some reason, Sports Illustrated, the mainstream media still hasn't caught on. Yeah. Well, and for parents, like any parents listening, make sure you know what your uh, what your child's school policy is on this because schools all across the country have policies that they won't tell you if your child has decided they want to be the opposite gender. They could be going by a totally different name at school and you would have no idea. Multiple stories of parents that found out, you know, months and months later that their child was going to a counselor at school who was affirming their gender identity. Uh, and and this is all being done behind parents' backs. So make sure you're you're aware of what your kids are, are being taught in school and what your school's policy is. Well, it's such a good transition to our next story 
which was an event that happened here at the Heritage Foundation on Monday. Yeah, so I um I had the opportunity to attend this event and then actually speak with this mom. Um so there's there's a woman named Abby Martinez. Um she had a daughter named Jaylee. Abby Martinez is is a California mom who had four kids and Abby says that her daughter Jaylee was a super girly girl growing up. She loved dresses and dancing. She was super creative. And then when Jaylee was 16 years old, she she started getting involved in an LGBTQ club at school, and she became friends with someone who identified as transgender. And, and then soon, Jaylee started saying that she was a boy. Um, and Abby, Jaylee's mom, she tried to really support her daughter through this. She said, you know, whatever clothes you want to wear, I'll buy them for you. However you want to do your hair, that's fine. Um, but, you know, really, all she wanted was her daughter to be happy and she felt like the most important thing was for her daughter to get mental health help, that that was really the need, um, that, you know, she was struggling with depression and she wanted her daughter to get what she actually needed. But because Abby was not 100 percent supportive of her daughter identifying as a man, she lost custody of Jaylee. And Jaylee entered foster care and then a group home. And during this time, it was several years, Abby was only allowed to visit her daughter for one hour a week. And counselors and social workers told Abby that, you know, her daughter had to become a man or else she would kill herself. In Jaylee's school, they encouraged her to pursue transitioning and becoming a man. Jaylee, uh, she did change her name to Andrew. She started taking hormones, um, but she was still really, really struggling with depression. Um, And tragically, when Jaylee was 19, she took her own life and she left behind Abby, her grieving mom, and three other grieving siblings. Uh, and Abby told this story, like we said, at the Heritage Foundation on Monday. We want to play just a clip of that event for you all. I want everyone to know the truth about what happened to our family because it didn't have to happen. And because I didn't want it to happen, I don't want this to happen to any other family. Any other mom deserves to suffer this or to, to go through all this pain. This pain doesn't have a name. Like I tell people I had, when they had you doing it, and I say, I can't explain this pain. And When you lose a child, it doesn't have a name. You lose your mom, you're an orphan, you lose your husband, you're a widow. When you lose a child, there is no name. And even when you breathe, it hurts. So what do you all think and feel when you hear these kinds of stories? Because it, like, obviously it's so tragic, but Abby, like Abby and Jaylee's story Sadly, it, it's um, it's a little unique, but it's not one of a kind. This has happened before. It is happening where you have these kinds of situations play out. I'll tell you, Virginia, as a mom, it makes me incredibly scared and angry. I'm scared that this could happen behind my back. Um, you know, <laughs> Parents working full time, it can be very hard to 
be involved in your children's school, in their education, and know exactly what's going on, especially when we know so many schools are purposely trying to hide a lot of this stuff from parents. So I think we need a real conversation about how do we how do we allow parents to trust the their children's educators again? They have broken that trust over and over again. And this story is, you know, one of the more extreme but the most tragic example of this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> I think the solution is, you know, Tell parents you have to be involved in your children's education, but we also have to acknowledge it is my full-time job to be watching these things and reporting on them and know what's going on. And then I'm starting to apply to preschool for my toddler. And where is the time in the day for me to be watching what's happening in that preschool as close as I want to? It's very difficult. So I think parents are in a incredibly hard position. My heart goes out to this mother. Uh, What a sad and powerful example of what we're allowing happen to children today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're we're storytellers here at Heritage, and we we tell a lot of really difficult – I mean, even with the women in this room, together we've told a lot of really difficult stories, um, you know, including rape and people with disabilities and people have lost everything. And this is, I think, affected me more than any other story that we've had to tell. And I would say it was really department-wide. Like everybody just kind of was like had to take a little time because this this woman was so broken. It was the first time she ever told her story. And she went into really graphic detail about how, how she killed herself and, and how really all she wanted was – you know, what was best for her daughter. And she fought like throughout this whole process, she fought. And that way that the, the, the city and the state, you know, really just every step of the way tried to push this ideology and against the mom. And, you know, we talk about like elections have consequences, but at the same time, like actions have consequences. And, and you might think like, oh, it's just a phase. Oh, you know, they'll just pretend to be a boy. And oh, OK, maybe they, they'll be infertile, which is all, you know, a terrible thing. But like, we're playing with people's lives here. Yeah. And just kind of with the gas prices, you have to really understand that this isn't just a social thing that we think about and like, oh, it, it, this person can't swim. Like, no, this is you only get one shot in this life. Mm-hmm. Like this this is not <laughs> you don't get a repeat of like your your childhood years or and, and I, I remember being back in that age and like everything was just like, you know. Boy, a boy didn't talk to you, or like somebody was mean <laughs> to you at school. Yeah, the end of the world. And can you imagine if your the your mom is trying to like do what's best for you, but then people at the same time were telling you you were a different gender and you don't really feel comfortable in either gender, like that weight on you. Plus, I'm sure some sort of other like demons and um, depression, and it just it, I'm I'm so proud of Abigail and and her standing up because I can't imagine. The courage that that took. Mm-hmm. Lauren, uh, you and I have been together telling some very emotionally heavy, powerful stories over the years in Virginia. You as well. But I'm curious that that kind of took my attention away that this story out of yeah, I mean, everything we've done abortions. over almost 10 years yeah. um, has impacted you this deeply. Can you expand on what it was about this story that hit you like that? 
I mean, it, this is going to get graphic, so if anybody needs to take a break, I'll just fast forward maybe a minute. But she she literally talks about how her daughter was hit by a train and that she, she said like she was sitting there grieving while there there were pieces of her daughter. And just to like think think of that mom, not only does she carry the, the shame and the guilt of like what else could I have done? She also she, that's in her mind. Like if she's saying that, that's in her mind. And just that that pain, you know, that that you could you could see it, you could feel it. Uh, I think Dr. J. Richards, who was hosting the event, <laughs> a couple times he got up and just like went to go hug her, right? And I think like he was kind of acting on behalf of all of us. Like yeah. we just wanted to like go up and and again, this is this is pain that that I, I really I'm I'm going to say perverted individuals in our society are pushing on children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this wasn't happening when we were in high school, which was. 10 years, 10 years ago. <laughs> you know, like This wasn't happening, mm-hmm. you know, even five years ago. But 10 years extent. ago isn't that long. No. That's scary how far it's changed. And, you know, I look at the baby I'm holding. What What's going to be happening when he's in school? If this is already happening now, will people wake up to the risk of pushing this ideology on children, or is it only going to get worse? And yeah. and if it gets worse, I have no doubt that means we are going to live in a very divided country because there is no way parents like me are going to send their children into any schools that are knowingly peddling this type of confusion. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. which is good because parents are the strongest activist group. You know, if you are going to do whatever it takes for your kid, and, and every week— we talk about this, which I feel like is – I know it's not every week, but it's its often. And every week I say the same thing. It does sometimes feel like we're kind of like beating the same drum and, and beating a dead horse. But it is important to have these conversations every day and not to let it get stale. Because when we let it get stale and we don't talk about it anymore, the left wins. Mm-hmm. Right. I think this is one of the most important conversations of our generation because we are literally – talking about the next generation mm. of kids and like the most vulnerable population is our children. They, you know, they're still learning how to think, how to process information, and they're literally being preyed on by people that have a very specific agenda that want to promote trans ideology and they're seeing, okay, I I can tell this little kid that, you know, likes trucks that they're a boy. And this little girl is going to say, "Okay." And it it's a very specific and targeted mission. And honestly, like it, it's time for righteous anger. Like we mm. we cannot be okay with this. And you know, we Kelsey, you were saying like, do we do we change now, or like is more of this going to happen down the road? And like, my hope is like we can get the word out right now, and we can kind of right this ship. I think eventually the ship will be righted because. If things don't change, this will keep happening. There will be more victims of this agenda. Um, and this isn't a bipartisan issue. Like People on both sides of the aisle are speaking out about this, which is really encouraging to see. Um, and it, it's something that we can all get behind and say, OK, no, this isn't OK, um, because these are our kids we're talking about. I think righteous anger is the perfect way to describe where we are right now, where I feel – uh, you know, in my career and in my personal life as a mom, it is time to uh, to express that. We've seen righteous anger produce results in Virginia. We need to see it more because as we learn through this tragic story, lives really are at stake. Well, stay tuned because up next we crown our problematic woman of the week. 
It's easy to get overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle. So if you're looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters, the Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day. Hosts Doug Blair, Rob Bluey, and me, Virginia Allen, bring you headlines and interviews with lawmakers, authors, and conservative activists. If you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out the Daily Signal podcast available every weekday morning. Now, it is that time, once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to Abby Martinez. So I, I probably <laughs> jumped the gun and kind of gushed about her already. <laughs> but I, I, again, I, you really, heritage.org forward slash events, it'll be right right at the top. Um, there's also a heritage events podcast, which is actually my favorite for those who listen to our podcast at one and a half speed. I feel like I'm like... <laughs> life hacking to listen to all the you'll events. learn so much so much so much but uh, i really recommend to, to listen to it and and you know this is not a blatantly political person this is a mom in pain who's taking time to, to speak out and just really wants to take her pain and, and help other people so yeah we should thank her for speaking out because i can't imagine the strength and bravery it took mm-hmm. for her to share that very personal story um, that I'm sure she carries with her every day. So, Yeah, her telling her story at Heritage was the very first time that she ever shared it publicly. So it was obviously highly emotional for her. There was not a dry eye in the audience. There was a grown grown man crying right behind Mm -hmm. me. Like everyone was just so moved and touched. Um, So like Lauren said, check it out, heritage.org. And if she's listening, I think... We should all just say thank you. Yes, thank you. Sincerely. You really are helping others. Yeah, absolutely. Well, on that note, that's going to be it for this week's edition (laughs) of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Don't forget, conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.